This morning we begin a new series about being disciples, following Jesus in the real world. Um, This real world is complicated as we well know. For the last two and a half months we've been doing, or three months, however long it's been, um, we've been doing this kind of worship where the pews are empty and the only people in the building, uh, my family, and they're all running technology and and helping to uh, make this possible this streaming service. At the same time, we've been confronting or confronted by the reality of death through this illness, through this virus and its associated disease. The word disease, dis-ease, we've been uncomfortable for a couple of months with this reality. And we've been confronted by our cultural failure over the last few weeks now that there are issues, inequality is real and rampant. We live in a broken, messy world, and in that world, we are called to faith. We are called by faith to be disciples of Jesus. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about disciples and what that means, what that means to follow Jesus, what that means to be a disciple in, in real life, in the real world. We'll begin this morning with disciples defined. Disciples are followers. Disciples go where Jesus directs, Matthew 28, verse 16. The first verse of our gospel reading says this, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. After the resurrection, which in Matthew's gospel happens in chapter 28, so if we back up just within this chapter, we would see the the resurrection account with the empty tomb uh, being discovered, and then Jesus shows up there at the tomb and directs through through the, 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 the women who show up there. He says, tell my disciples to go. Tell them to go, and two times he says, go to Galilee. And there I will meet them. And so they go, and it's traditional to understand that this happens at the Mount of Transfiguration. So that's the mountain where Jesus had directed them. That's where they go and where they meet him. Here at the end of Matthew's gospel, these are the final words recorded in the gospels with Jesus as the speaker. It's right before his ascension. And he comes there and meets them where he said he would be. Where is Jesus directing you to go? Where is he directing us to go? Where can we meet Jesus? During this time of coronavirus and COVID-19, we had to move into a virtual space. Instead of gathering in this building and having time with Jesus in our worship, we had to do this via technology, through streaming, through some who are connecting on the phone, uh, many on computers or tablets. So um, we're connected, but it's still um, disconnected in a way. And yet in this, we're still connecting with Jesus. We can still meet Jesus here because we meet him in his word. Disciples meet Jesus where he has promised to be. He promised the disciples he would meet them on the mountain. He promised us that he can meet us and will meet us in his word 
and through sacrament. Through word and sacrament, we receive him. So disciples are followers, but it goes beyond just stalking Jesus and going where he tells us to go. When we meet Jesus, we worship. Verse 17, moving further into uh, Matthew 28 here. When they saw him, when the 11 saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Who are the some is an interesting question. Matthew's gospel doesn't specify. Was it some from the 11? That's the subject in verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. They worshipped him, so it seems to continue that it's from the 11, but who is it? I would doubt that it's Thomas, ironically, because at the end of John's gospel in John chapter 20, Thomas, you know, still in the upper room with the doors locked when Jesus shows up right after or soon after the resurrection and then a week later, that's when Thomas, um, a week later, Become satisfied. He has seen Jesus, my Lord and my God, he says. Then who? Who is doubting? We don't know. The reality is, doubt is not disbelief. And that's important. Because sometimes we may have doubts. Sometimes we may wonder, what's Jesus going to do? Was the doubt that they had a doubt of his identity, of the reality, or what were they doubting? And we don't know. But it's not disbelief because they worshiped. Can we worship Jesus and have our doubts at the same time? Doubt doesn't disqualify us from being disciples. And that's important to remember. If we doubt sometimes, that's okay. Jesus can handle it. We're still learning and growing, which brings us to a second definition of disciples. We're students of a teacher. Students of a teacher, adherence to a doctrine, Merriam-Webster would define it this way, with devoted allegiance to the teachings of one chosen as a master. Disciples in first century um, language, weren't, res- weren't exclusive to followers of Jesus. Now that's how we think of the word, right? If we hear disciples, it's followers of Jesus. Those are the disciples because that, that term has become associated with, with people who follow Jesus, particularly in the Gospels, that, but then even in today's language, we're disciples of Jesus, But disciples in the first century could have been attached to any number of rabbis, any number of teachers within the the Jewish system, followers of those those teachers, those rabbis. Jesus was a rabbi. Disciples would follow a rabbi, a teacher. Matthew chapter 10 Beginning in verse 24 says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. See, the best disciples learn and become like the master. That's the point of discipleship. 
to become like the teacher. Disciples of Jesus become, well, like Jesus. That's the goal of discipleship within the church is to become like Jesus as students of Jesus. Disciples follow and listen and learn and imitate the rabbi. It's described that in the first century uh, time of Jesus and, and the followers and the, and the 12 uh, who followed him closely, that the mark of the best disciples were the ones on whose clothing the dust of the rabbi's sandals would cling. So if you follow someone closely walking in the dust of, of Israel, you get that dust on your robe as you follow, on your shoes, on your feet, sticking to your legs as you're sweating in that heat and that dust is getting stirred up. It's, it's clinging to you. That's what we want as disciples of Jesus, that the, that the way that we follow, we follow closely enough that the dust that his feet kick up stick to us, that it doesn't have time to settle out, that we don't miss that. There have been a lot of challenges in the education system lately for the last few months. Milpitas called it Educate Everywhere. Other places, distance learning or remote class or whatever it was labeled, Somehow, with teachers in one place and students scattered, how was it going to work? For the students to complete the school year, our kids just completed their school year on Thursday, and it was a, it was a celebration in our house that the school year was done. And I know for teachers, many were relieved and glad that we made it to summer. Ah. It was hard for teachers. It was hard for students. It was hard for parents to fill in the gap that was there. Start time was hard to maintain. Homework deadlines were hard to keep. It was hard to stay on task. There's something about being separated from the teacher that makes it harder to follow. We need to follow closely. We need to be near the one who teaches. As disciples of Jesus, we need to be near Jesus. We're separated by 2,000 years. We can't be near him as he walks on the road, but we can be near him and follow closely to him by connecting with him daily in his word, by staying close and, and following closely. The word discipline is from the same root as disciple. We need to be disciplined followers of Jesus. That's the definition. Here in the reading from Matthew's gospel, we see disciples now commissioned. We call this section of scripture the Great Commission, particularly verses 18 through 20. That Jesus gathers his disciples on this mountaintop. He is preparing for his departure and commissions them for their work. Disciples are commissioned by the authority of Jesus. This is in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he continues. 
But Jesus' authority comes from his identity as the Son of God, as the second person of the Trinity. Jesus has the authority to commission on his followers this work that they are to do. Now, our authority comes from him. We gather, even virtually, not under our authority, but under the authority of of Jesus. We carry out the work that we do as a congregation or the work that the church, thinking the whole church does, is not from our authority, but from the authority of Jesus. We don't act on our own. We act on behalf of Jesus. We do his work. We follow his plans. We are to go, which is the first word really of the commission. The commission sends us into mission. Go. Go and do. In the military, there are commissions. When an officer gets commissioned, they are given an an authority and a place and a purpose and a job to do. An authority from the structure that exists, from the hierarchy, and really from the commander-in-chief that carries down to this now officer who has a job to do, a responsibility to carry out, and a mission to engage in. We have our authority from the commander-in-chief, our commander-in-chief, to go, and our mission is to make disciples. That's what verse 19 says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I remember being on the playground when I was a little kid, and someone would say something, uh, usually someone insulting, and the response that many children learned was, takes one to know one, (laughs) right? So if you're called a name, well, it takes one to know one. In our sense of discipleship, it takes one to make one. We have to be disciples first before we go make disciples. We have to be followers and students learning and growing and doing in order to make disciples of others. We witness not just from things that we've maybe memorized, but things we know and believe, right? What we've seen, what we've heard, how Jesus has spoken to us in his word, how we have seen him at work in our lives. Through our friend Greg Finke in Dwelling 114, we've, we've learned to, to answer that question. How is God at work in your life? How do you see God at work? What's he teaching you in his word? The reason that we have those conversations at the beginning of, of meetings, at the beginning of our Bible class time, is to rehearse our witness. Rehearse what it means for us to be disciples to recognize God at work. The other way that Greg asks the question is, how's God messing with you? How's God at work in your life? How's he, what is he doing? Where is he interrupting you? Where is he sending you? Where is he nudging you? How is he encouraging you? How is he challenging you to do some good things? So we make disciples by our witness of what God is doing in our lives how our, our lives have been changed. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and 
in our prior series, we were in the book of 1 Peter, and we, we saw this verse. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 describes being prepared to share your hope, to share the hope that you have, to give reason for the hope that is in you. That's part of our story. That's part of how we make disciples. We make disciples. We're commissioned to make disciples and to baptize, the latter part of verse 19. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why, as a congregation, we baptize all ages. At the command of Jesus. Baptism is a sacrament, a sacred act of God on behalf of the baptized, a means of grace through which we receive the Spirit. The Holy Spirit claims the baptized, marks us as those set apart by the grace of God. So we go and we make disciples, baptizing them. It's an important aspect of of our work as church is to baptize. The writers of the New Testament describe baptism in in very uh, positive ways. Baptism now saves you. And and Luther describes it's not the water, it's, it's God's word under the water, God's word with the water. And through the work of the Spirit in baptism, we are claimed and marked and sanctified. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, and the next part of our commission is to teach. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, so that people can learn about the love of Jesus, so that people can know the stories of Jesus, so people can receive the grace of Jesus, so that more disciples can continue to carry out the mission. There's an unbroken line of faith and belief from us that traces back to these 11 people on this mountaintop with Jesus. They came down from this mountain. The Holy Spirit was poured out. We talked about that last week. So this timing-wise is a bit reversed from this episode right before the, the um, ascension, which would have happened before Pentecost, which we described last week. And so they came down, and the Holy Spirit was poured out, and they shared that word and faith and testimony and witness with people who were gathered initially in Jerusalem, and then the word spread from there. It has spanned the planet. It has reached most of the world. There are still pockets and places where people have not heard of Jesus where people have not learned of Jesus, which is why missions continue to be important, which is why we support Kip and Ivy on the other side of the planet doing the work that they're doing so that they can earn the right to share of Jesus. So people can carry out the commands of Christ. It's different from the Ten Commandments. Those are important to learn because they're our guide for how we live as disciples. But commands of Jesus are more like what he shares in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. 
Or like Jesus shares in Matthew 22. He was asked, which is the greatest commandment? And quoting the Old Testament, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Then he goes on, a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What's it mean to carry out the commands of Jesus? Well, love God, love your neighbor, love one another. It looks a lot like love. Let's do what Jesus commands and love God. If there was ever a time for selfless love of neighbor, of people, we're living in it. Let's reach out with love to people who are different from us. For people who, to people who look different, who have different customs, different languages, different cultures. And let's make disciples of all nations, of all races. I love the description in Revelation that describes when, when John is seeing this gathered multitude from every tribe and nation, every tongue and race. The church is a place of vast diversity because the only, the only requirement is faith in Jesus. That's it. Faith alone in the grace that he offers and gives to us. Trusting in that following Jesus makes us disciples who then carry out this commission. We are disciples who are commissioned. We're also disciples who are encouraged. We're encouraged. Jesus is with us. Verse 20 ends with these words, Behold, I am with you always to the end of of the age. Have you ever thought for a moment about that? That the promise of Jesus is to be with his disciples. That he is with us. It's much more promising, much more valuable, much more absolute than my following of him. There are some times when I follow Jesus closely, when I'm, when I'm the guy getting the dirt kicked up on my, on my feet. When I'm following closely and I'm believing and everything's going well and it's good, there are other times that it's important that Jesus is with me because I might be apt or tempted to stray from him because I might have my own doubts Disappointments, discouragement, but Jesus is with us to the end of the age. And nothing we do changes that. We won't be without Jesus. I am with you always. The words that are translated always there, pasas uh, hemeras in Greek, um, all days. Every day. Not always meaning generally forever, but every single day of our lives, Jesus is with us. It's the same promise we find in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the same promise that's found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, wherever two or three are gathered. It's the same promise that's made uh, on the 
in the writing of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. As disciples of Jesus, we have that encouragement that he is with us. And then when the world seems so broken and so difficult and life is hard and we're sheltering in place and there's people protesting racial inequalities and just everything seems hard and difficult and like it's all breaking down, Jesus is with us. So we can live and love like Jesus. As an encouragement and from our calling. To live like Jesus and to love like him. To follow, to learn, to imitate Jesus. And to carry out this commission that he has given us. To be disciples who make disciples. That can change the world. It already has. Let's continue that change. Let's continue to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about for the next month is being disciples in the real world. Amen.